Hendrickson, and you're listening to my podcast, Sound Off, on music challenging the status quo. In each episode, I explore creativity at the intersection of art, music, and literature to dig into what that work and the people making it tell us about life in the 21st century. Today's guest is composer-violist Jessica Pavone, a New York City-based artist whose new album, Clamor, is out this October. The album, which features string ensemble and bassoon, includes works that are inspired by women's inventions created out of a desire to circumvent the limitations to their freedoms, including the seesaw, a 17th century Korean invention that women invented to to see what lay outside. The women weren't allowed to leave their homes, so the seesaw gave them the ability to peek out of the walls of their property, even if just for a minute. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Jessica Pavone and sample some of her music. So, I mean, I remember when I wrote this, the first thing I did was just sit at the piano and come up with a series of pitches that I liked and just thought, what am I going to do with these pitches, you know? And that seesaw pattern happens in the middle of the piece, there's an intro that goes into it. I remember coming up with the pitches, coming up with a way for the string players to move through the pitches. And it's just something I do with a lot of my string writing is I'll have these sort of sections that are loose and slightly improvised and indeterminate land in meter. I kind of like that sort of divergence from a sort of landscape coming together into something that's metered and then breaking apart. So that's just a, some, a concept that I work with a lot when writing for strings as a way, because I like to work with improvisation and indeterminacy, but I want there to be uh, a cohesiveness to it. And that's just like a technique that I use a lot to keep the music together and give it a more solid identity. And I don't really remember. I think I just found these chords that I liked and I was just sitting at a piano and I started working with going back and forth. And I do remember thinking about irregular phrases. The seesaw pattern, as it changes through chords, I think some of the phrases are eight measures long, some are nine measures long. So there's not an element of complete predictability as to when the chords were gonna change. It's just parameters that I come up with. I feel like when I write music, I'm creating like a puzzle for myself to solve. And that's really all it was. You know, it's like, I make a framework and what can I plug in? It's just how I write, and I think it's just an extension of that. Nushu, the secret language developed by Chinese women forbidden from going to school. Uh, I, that is also just really, really fascinating to me. So um, I'd love to hear you speak more on that and how it, how it's involved in in this this album. Once I realized I wanted to follow this this theme, I just didn't. I really didn't know how to do research because it's. You, you, you look on the internet, but you don't believe everything on the internet. You don't. So I just started taking, I just started taking like lots of books out of the library on different things. I was just talking about it constantly just to see if I can just picking people's brains. I didn't really know how to approach research. And I had this book that was in my apartment. It was a, a Gloria Steinem book. I think it's My Life on the Road. And she just talks about her, her, her life touring and speaking. And I, I was like, oh, I, I should just be reading just maybe feminist stuff and I just like was reading whatever I could could find and I just started reading that book and in the intro she mentions Nushu and it was like that's exactly the kind of thing I was looking for like an invention and so I started looking up Nushu and found out that that's what it was and 
And it just turned out, I, as I did more research, Tan, the composer Tandoon, I think, did like a, a symphonic series on Nushu. I mean, I had never heard of it until I read it in the book. And then I just started looking it up. And I, I mean, it was just like a light bulb. It was like, this couldn't be any more fitting to be the movement where the soloist is in dialogue with the performers because it's it's more of a conversation. So in the new shoe aspect, that the bassoon seems to be really integral. Now those movements are composed a lot more different than the movements that I composed just for strings. There's a lot more openness to them. And Katie is an old, old friend of mine. I've known Katie for over 20 years. We've worked together in lots of different configurations. We also, like in 2013, we did a a solo, double solo tour together in Germany. So I know her language really well. I know, and I just love the bassoon. I love Katie's solo work and how I constructed these movements, which is there are certain textures unique to Katie that she does when she plays solo. And a big part of, for me, for writing music is I want the music to feel good. Sometimes, you know, when we're playing composed music or you're like, or just playing a string instrument or instruments in general, you're like contorting your body to play something like super complex. And I'm, my whole philosophy on writing music is I don't want it to be so hard that it's stressful. That's why I think I work a lot with indeterminacy so that there's an element of like, you can kind of zone away from the page and be more inside the music. And so for Katie, I said, what are your favorite things to play on the bassoon? And I'm going to construct these pieces around that. This will be in two parts. So I figure out a way to notate this texture or technique in the score. And then I decide how I want the strings to play around it. And kind of what I do is I try to figure out a way for the string players to play something that's sort of mirroring Katie's texture. Although it's obviously it's going to be quite different because strings, bassoon, very different kinds of instruments. And these are kind of, they're, one of them is, I'm using a clock, it's a time-based score. And so we're just moving through these textures based on where the clock is. So we're kind of just in a sound that overlaps to another sound. And in a time-based score, the way I use it, sometimes certain parts of the ensemble will have a different time than other parts of the ensemble. So we're not always moving together, which is kind of how you create that sort of landscape. Part two actually is not a time-based score. It's more based on cues, where we all have these cells of textures. That one, actually, Katie and I are improvising together. I will cue the ensemble in and out of where they're supposed to come So come in. So it's not a time-based score, but it's not metered in any way. It's more just moving through texture.
We just heard an excerpt from New Shoe Part 1 by Jessica Bavone off her forthcoming album Clamor. It's out October 6th on Out of Your Head Records, so we're getting a special preview of that track. I'm Katie Hendrickson. You're listening to Sound Off, an interviews podcast on music challenging the status quo. Today's special guest is Jessica Bavone, who worked with longtime friend and collaborator Catherine Young, a distinct bassoonist who figures prominently here in Clamor. You mentioned loving the bassoon sound. I would love to hear you like talk a little bit more about what drew you into the bassoon sound and then also talking about Katie specifically as a bassoonist and the sounds that she creates. I'd love to hear you actually maybe talk about sure. some of those sounds. I mean, something I think about with instruments, even early, early, early on when I first started writing music, I like to think about what they're made out of. And bassoon is made out of wood. And I, I, I have a penchant towards wooden instruments because I play one. So I've always been drawn to the sound of the bassoon because I think of the elemental property. And Katie specifically, I mean, her solo, I mean, the way she plays the bassoon is wild. She's not a traditional player. She's dedicated a lot of her career to playing the bassoon in an unconventional way. She's a brilliant composer. She's just a really super, one of the most creative people I know. Having a familiarity with the musicians I'm working with, I'm not the kind of composer necessarily who writes music and hands it off to a bunch of strangers to play. That model never really resonated with me. So I feel like when I'm putting projects together, I'm putting together a band of people and we're working on, even though it's music I wrote, we're working on it together. And in the rehearsals, I'm getting input from the other musicians. I mean, Katie gave a lot of input when we were rehearsing the pieces. So I kind of like more that collaborative feeling where everyone has like agency to feel creative in the space as we're working together. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I was actually going to talk more with you about that the composer performer hierarchy that you always seem to be wanting to break breaking down, and I feel like maybe that's a good transition right there because you just kind of pointed to that. But maybe talk a little more about that and like how you how you decided you wanted that was one of your focus points. If there's challenges to both models, I find being someone who plays in my projects. It's hard for me. I'm just like, I'm distracted a lot because like my composer brain is on. So a lot of like, like when we're in a rehearsal, it's hard for me to completely be fully there as the violist because my composer brain is like, oh, do I want to change this? Do I, you know, I'm like kind of revising or listening. It's, it's challenging. I find it challenging in some ways, but I, it's also just a level of wanting to feel like you're working with people who are invested in what you're doing. Like I it just, or that they like what you're doing. I've been in situations where strangers are playing strangers music and to them it's just a job it's just a paycheck they don't care it's like they could be working at a bowling alley or they could be playing this piece it's just you know and I don't like that that feeling um and it's hard to find people that you want to work with that you feel like resonate with what you do I it took me a while I gotta say I've been composing music for almost 25 years and I almost feel like just in the last four or five years I really found string players in particular that I like to work with you, you mentioned before that some of the compositions were from a time-based score. Maybe that feels like that sort of lean, leans into this composer-performer hierarchy. For those uninitiated, what, what, what does a time-based score mean? Well, it means that, so I'll get rid of all the bar lines, or sometimes I'll have dotted bar lines, which are suggestive bar lines, meaning, so we're not in a meter. We're not, there's no strict tempo. You're, I'll, you're in a space where 
for example, I'll have places where the string players, you have like three pitches you can alternate between at your own, like you're independent. There's no BPM or anything. Um, you're in a time frame, say your score says from 30 seconds to one minute, alternate between these three pitches at your own pace. And when you have six people doing that, and then actually it's actually hard to get people to not play together because our tendency is to want to join up. But when you have six people doing that, you'll get rhythms and polyrhythms and weird things that will happen that you could write, but to make them be complicated or make to make them be that off from each other, you'd have to write some complicated weird rhythm that you'd have to count like crazy. I feel like when you just let people breathe and play and be in their zone and be in the space and just be like, just try not to be with the person next to you. We're also all at different tempos. I'll give them like a time frame tempo, like dependent, like I might be like, be like for BPM, I might say like quarter note equals between 30 and 60. So they know, okay, we're not going really fast back and forth, you know, or there might be a place where I'll be like quarter note equals between 80 and 100. So it's like giving enough parameters so the music has, has identity. That's also a thing too. It's like, it's not like a, a free for all. Like I want the music to have a particular sound. So I give enough information without giving too much. And then there might be, I'll give them a time frame. Like if you're in this one sound and you're moving into the next sound or next gesture, I'll put in the score for the time, I'll, I'll put like one minute and 35 seconds to one minute and 45 seconds. So you have a 10 minute window where you're moving from one to the next. And so everyone's moving at a different place. So we get this feeling of like we're in one landscape that's gradually shifting to the next one because there's a time frame where they're moving or even within a chord, so like a chord is gradually changing to another. And in the same way, I can give a very specific time, like eight minutes and 30 seconds, we're all switching here. And in that case, if I want everyone to switch exactly at a time, I'll give, we'll assign someone to give the cue so that it, we are together. So if say a lot of times I'll give um, Amy the cue and so at 8.30, we're not necessarily looking at the clock and all changing at 8.30. At 8.30, we're looking at Amy. And Amy's watching the clock. And when Amy gives us the cue, so we actually are going, moving together as an ensemble and not just like a robot to this clock. It's more like a guide. I think of it as like it's our conductor. Maybe let's go back to what drew you into music and to sound like early, early, early formative memory. I, I understand it now, but I think in the journey, I had no idea that, I mean, the story is when I was like, th no one in my family is a musician. I just started asking for a violin when I was three and my parents were like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And then like <laughs> two years later, I'm five and I'm still like, I want a violin. I want a violin. The way it's been recounted to me, they said, why do you want a violin? I don't even know where I heard it. I must've seen it on TV or something. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, I like the sound. That's what I said to them. As a five-year-old, I like the sound. And so they <laughs> signed me up for violin lessons. So I always just like took violin lessons and then I picked up piano and I played in the bell choir. Like I realized, because once I, I actually did go to music school and when I got, I switched to viola like in junior high. And when I got to music school to be like a violist and like that's uh, that's all you did and basically when you go to music school for viola it's just you're at least at that time maybe it's a little bit more open now you're just training to be an orchestral musician and you're just like learning excerpts learning it, it, I didn't know it was going to be so uncreative 
you know, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, and it really, it wasn't because like classical music was my passion or because I, I liked playing in orchestra. I also liked playing in bell choir. I also liked playing the piano. And what I realize now, as my relationship to music has developed, what I really liked about it, I'm like a very tactile, physical person. I think I liked the feeling of playing instruments. I liked the feeling of it. I liked playing in an ensemble. I think it was more about that and less about me wanting to recreate and you know 18th 19th 20th century classical music you know that wasn't my interest but that's because of the instrument I played and I wasn't exposed I think as I was younger to other genres that I could participate in because I took lessons and that's what they told me to do so I do think it's the feeling of playing instruments and I think that that's actually informed my music now where I like to think a lot about how it feels how does it feel to play this? How does it feel to hear this? And I think that's why a lot of my music now is sort of landscaped and chilled out and sort of just like creating these sound environments. But within, I want there to be interesting compositional elements, but it's, it's, it's less about harmony and melody and more traditional things. It's more just about being in a sound space and also how it feels.
heard an excerpt from Bloom off Jessica Bavone's forthcoming Clamor, releasing October 6th. I'm Katie Hendrickson. You're listening to Sound Off on music challenging the status quo. Head over to soundoffkatie.com to subscribe to my Substack companion and make sure you're subscribed to receive the latest episode as soon as it drops wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, it took a bit for Jessica to find herself as a composer. Let's hear a little bit more about that story. And once I left music school, that's when I started writing music. Because in music school, everything felt so separate. It's like, if you're a classical major, you, at least where I went, I went to a conservatory, you don't play jazz or you don't, you're not a composer. Like the departments didn't cross between. And then I didn't really, so I didn't write music because I didn't think I could. Um, and then I just started re- writing music actually when I left school. And it was just a bunch of years of just trial and error and doing it on my own. And then I finally went back, I think maybe seven years later, I got a master's in composition at Brooklyn College, which is just kind of, I was already living in New York City and it was a commuter school. I was able to just go to class two nights a week. And that was the only formal training I did in composition, although I really don't feel like I learned much. I mean, I did, I learned how to make a clean score. That was the most valuable thing I learned, but it didn't really change how I wrote. I feel like how I write, I feel like a lot of, how I write is just through doing it and failing. I learned the most from failing. I learned the most from doing things and it not working. Do you remember when you first composed something? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember what you were writing? I absolutely do. What happened, I mean, I was just lucky. I It was my senior year of college and I went to uh, the Hart School of Music, which is in Hartford, Connecticut. And somebody, my friend brought me to Wesleyan, which was about 20 minutes south to an Anthony Braxton concert. Anthony Braxton playing in trio with three saxophones with Seth Mysterka and Jackson Moore. I will never forget that moment. I went to this concert and I was blown away. I was struggling in music school for four years. I went to this concert and I was like, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I did. It just blew me away. I was like, this is incredible. And I hung out after the show with the musicians and they were all so friendly and nice and inviting and they were like we have this weekly composer instrumentalist collective we get together every Sunday night and we all just write music for the group it was called the Middletown Creative Orchestra and they said you should come this was not anything I experienced this was such the opposite of being in music school where everyone's got a fucking bug up there I don't know if I can curse but I got a bug up their ass everyone is just like so fucking god they're so nobody was friendly to me in music school nobody was nice to me I had no friends and these people were so welcoming and so I started going every Sunday to the Middletown Creative Orchestra first just playing and then I started writing Jessica Pavone's new album Clamor is out October 6th on Out of Your Head Records I'm Katie Hendrickson you've been listening to Sound Off which explores creativity at the intersection of art music and literature to dig into what that work and people making it tell us about art and life in the 21st century. Sound Off solely produced by me is part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. You can keep up with all things Sound Off online at soundoffkatie, that's katie with a y, dot com. The music here was composed by Matt Bauer. He has a ton of really awesome musical projects that you should check out, find him online. My next guest is cellist Amanda Gukin. Until next time, I hope you continue resonating with that great force of music. Mm-hmm.